Best Webb? It's all you, sir. I fall asleep. Sleep, y'all. Wake me up. Okay. Uh, first thing I've got to do, you can go ahead and turn to uh, Genesis 31. All right, we're going to do, uh, we're going to read the entire chapter here. It's 55 verses, but we're going to add one. We're going to start in chapter 30, verse uh, 43. So, you may, just to get the context here, we've got uh, Jacob, you know, uh, stole his birthright, birthright from his brother, although he didn't actually steal it because God had planned for him to get it anyway. But uh, his older brother Esau, by a few minutes, uh, said he's going to kill Jacob. Uh, he uh, deceived his dad. His mama helped him. Then uh, his older brother had married a couple of lost uh, women that were a grief to his parents. So actually just to save Jacob's life, they sent him away to get a wife from uh, his mother's family. Went there and met his uncle Laban. He was a stand-up guy, you know. <laughs> and God blessed Jacob while he was there. He blessed Laban while Jacob was there. And uh, he got two wives, his father-in-law. I really don't understand all that, but unless they were drinking on the first night, you know, uh, the night of the first wedding, he swapped up daughters on Jacob. So he married uh, Leah. And then I think he had to wait a week, and he married Rachel. But he had to work seven more years. You know, You know, anyway... So chapter 30, verse 43, not surprisingly, says, no, that's in chapter 30. All right. Verse 43 says, The man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and asses. And then here, verse 31, chapter 31, is this is not surprising. And he heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob have taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all his glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return into the land of thy fathers, to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance that is not toward me as before. But the God of my father hath been with me. And you know that with all my power I have served your father. And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be my, thy wages, then all the cattle were bare speckled. And if he said, Thus the ring straight shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring straight. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. It came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring straight, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of the Lord spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, here am I. 
And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest uh, the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise and get thee out from this land, and return to the land of thy kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him as strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God had taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. And now whatsoever God has said unto thee, do. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, <clears throat> the cattle of his getting which he had gotten in Padanaram, uh, for to go to Isaac his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images which were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, and that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river, and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day, remember he was shearing the sheep, so um, that took all the time they had. It was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey. And they overtook him, the Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, I was just trying to figure out, what was this dream like? Anyway, God appeared to him and said, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or or bad. That was a short dream, wasn't it? Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done, that thou hast stolen away unawares to me, and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly, and steal away from me, and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth, and with songs, and with tabret, and with harp? He said that as if he was sincere about that. <laughs> yeah, he, he really wanted to send away the big party, I'm telling you. Verse 28, And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters? Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. Uh, but, but the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. And now, though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, Peradventure, thou wouldst take by force thy daughter from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Wherefore our brethren, uh, discern thou what is thine with me. 
and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered to Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent and found them not. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. And Jacob was wroth, and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, and what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before thy brethren, my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. This twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats hath not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which is torn of beast I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was, in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle. And thou hast changed my wages ten times, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, in the fear of Isaac, had been with me. Surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. And these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters, or unto their children which, that, which they have borne? Now therefore come thou, and let us make a covenant, I and, thy, and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. So... Laban suggests a covenant, and Jacob beats him to it. Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar, and Jacob said unto his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made in heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it Jirgasahadutha, or something like that. I forgot to practice it. Sorry about that. Always get a Bible that has the pronunciations marked on the names. So you can, if you say, you know, you can work it out. Anyway, he called it something. But Jacob called it Galeed. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Galeed. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, if thou shalt take other wives besides my daughters, no man is with us. 
See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar which I have cast betwixt me and thee. If this heap be witness, and this pillar be witness, that I will not pass over this heap to thee, and that thou shalt not pass upon this heap and upon this pillar for me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge betwixt us. And Jacob sware by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. Now before we get to the message, I just want to point out something to you. Totally unrelated what I'm going to say. Um, in verse 49, in Mizpah, that means judgment. For he said, The Lord wash between me and thee when we are absent one from another. Now, I grew up going to church, and many times at the end of the service, our Presbyterian minister who didn't know God from Adam's house cat would put his hands up and say, the Lord wash between me and thee while we're absent one from another. Now, if he actually knew what the Bible said, he would know that's a threat. If you dare cross over here, God's going to strike you. That's what he's saying. But he used to act that like that was a blessing from God. The Lord washed between me and thee. Anyway, you live and learn. The title of our message today is Confidence When Countenances Are Contrary. Confidence When Countenances Are Contrary. Father, we thank you for the good service this morning and the good food and Lord, I pray that you'd keep us alert and awake tonight, uh, this afternoon, and that you would uh, speak to our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I used to have about three, or, we used to have about three or four nurse, nursing home ministers or whatever before COVID. Now we've got one. And uh, it's a, a pretty nice place. It's assisted to live, and it's, it's, you know, the people that basically just have apartments there. And I've got a small group that meets every week. And we recently had another lady join us and uh, came to find out when she, first time she was there, I asked if she had a religious background. She said she was Catholic. And uh, so I, I just come there on Tuesdays, and we're going through the Gospel of John, and I'll take the next paragraph or whatever and you know, read through it, explain it, and make some applications. So when I get through, I say, are there any questions or comments or anything? And this lady said, I didn't realize there was so much in the Bible, so much instruction. And she said, I, I guess it's because of my ignorance. And uh, I mean, it's just a simple passage, uh, but she was 
surprised at all the practical truth that was in the Bible. You know, it just deals with daily life. And she attributed to her ignorance to the Bible, and I, I don't mean any disrespect to her, but she was right. People often have a low opinion of the Bible because they've never read it or they're unfamiliar with it. And the Bible, of course, claims to be the Word of God because it is. And in its pages, it gives revelation instruction for every aspect of human life. And that book's only this big. I got a set of theology books, uh, systematic theology, each one of them is that big. And that only covers a small fraction of what we have in the Bible. It's really all that we need, the truth. Now, one of the most surprising things to people is the record of the Old Testament by what I would call family dynamics. Uh, The American Heritage Dictionary defines dynamics this way. The social, intellectual, or moral forces that produce activity and change. Dynamics really is about changing. Something's dynamic is changing. Uh, So the social, intellectual, moral forces that produce activity and change in a given sphere, some area of life. So family dynamics then, uh, that's a reference to the characteristic of people in a family their past history together, their actions, both good and bad, that continue to have an impact on how they interact with each other. Um, and I have to say it's, it's amazing when you look at all the intimate detail that God gives us in Genesis <laughs> concerning Abraham and his wife, his children, their children, their in-laws, how carnal their behavior and motives are, though God chose them, uh, those people to show them His merciful love. Um, but it would be embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassing detail to, to it's personal detail. I mean, just. I marvel. My wife and I always still think about Sarah is wanting a child, so she gives her handmaid to her husband, and she has uh, Hagar has a child by her husband, and then Sarah blames Abraham. But I mean, it's hard to comprehend all that. Does anybody else have a problem with that? Okay. Well, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. It's all through there. So you have embarrassing personal detail, but it's extremely instructive and helpful to anybody. If we're desiring to live for God and experience His sanctifying power, you know, in our lives, it's very instructive. And indeed, God has given us these passages, like this one I'm referring to today, to teach us wisdom, to show us how to please Him, and uh, to also reap the earthly and eternal benefits. And so in our passage here, we can see that when carnality and selfishness and unspiritual purposes threaten to tear about a family or a business or a church, 
if you're a child of God, you can act with confidence and peace if you have conducted yourself in submission to God and His Word. It's just that simple. So we're going to look at two main points. First of all, we're going to look at the manifestation of family dynamics. And some of those, particularly if you're young, they'll help you to get a better idea of how (laughs) some things you're going to face in life. And then secondly, the confidence of divine consecration. And that is going to give us details about how Jacob, in this case, conducted himself so that he could deal with us in in great confidence, knowing he's in the Lord's will. So the manifestation of family dynamics, one of them is, is a thing that usually most all of us want. And that is the influence of financial change and covetousness. So at the end of verse, uh, chapter 30, in verse 43, it says, The man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maidservants and men servants and camels and asses. And he heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob had taken away all that was our father's, and that which was our father's hath he gotten all his glory. Now, I'll just say this. If you've never had financial squabbles in your family, just wait till the inheritance starts being divided up. And everybody could be on the same page and in good spirits and friendly with everybody until you're trying to determine who gets what money or who gets what house or what land or whatever. Your funeral will be a lot, their funerals will be a lot more calm and genuine and so forth if they don't have any money. And this, this kind of thing happens all the time. Christian families, lost families, it doesn't really make any difference. Money and covetousness ruin a lot of family relations. They put pressures on families that you've probably never thought about before. Certainly did here. When uh, Laban's sons and his servants and so forth saw that Jacob had managed to get all these material possessions, <laughs> their attitude about Jacob changed. They, they had thought, you know, that Jacob coming in and the herds are built up and everything, you know, he, this guy's like got the Midas touch and they were all happy about that. But then when they saw it was all going in his pockets, things changed. Secondly, There's the factor of family loyalties instead of godly love. Verse 4 and 5. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to be the field and to his flock and said unto them, I see that your father's countenance is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And then in verse 14, And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our Father's house. Now, I I personally, in just my reading through this time after time, I question Rachel's salvation. Um, The the primary, one of the primary reasons is the fact that she stole her, these idols, teraphim, uh, as something of value from her dad, so I assume Laban, 
Laban's obviously an idolater. She valued that. But the, the point is here that Rachel and Leah turned against their dad. Now, according to the testimony here that we see in the Bible, probably they should have. But really, we ought to have a loyalty to God. We ought to want to do what's right, uh, regardless of finances or regardless of other factors. Um, you know, and, and actually, we ought to show, in most cases, uh, greater grace and mercy to the unsaved. Uh, because we want them to be saved. And so if we, I'm not saying we... Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we should let them rob the righteous. But there ought to be this thing that we, we exercise genuine Christian love to everybody that we know, and particularly family members. But a lot of times it just doesn't work that way, and you get uh, people siding against each other and that kind of thing. A third family... Uh, dynamic is the motivation of self-interest, which that's that's for all of us. In verse 1 of chapter 31, it says, And he heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all his glory. Uh, verse 15, it says, this is what his wives say, Are not we counted of him strangers, foreigners? For he has sold us and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God had taken from our fathers, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God has said unto thee, do. And that sounds really good at the end there. Everything that God said, do. <laughs> but let me read one other verse. Verse 43. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. Well, no. They are his daughters, but they're Jacob's wives. And these children, that means Jacob's children, but Laban's grandchildren, and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine, and what can I do this day unto these my daughters unto their children which they have borne? The motivation of self-interest. I'm going to refer to Chris again this morning. Thanks for all the preparation there. Uh, for my message, that is. Uh, he basically said sin is it's, it's just a product of selfishness. It's what do I want and so forth. And I'm glad that Leah and Rachel sided with their husband in this case. I mean, that's, that's what they vow to do. But I'm not so sure it's because they were just loyal to the husband. They were siding with the husband because his pockets were getting full, you know. And they didn't want to lose that. They, they accused their dad of selling them. Well, you know, you know, it's like in the Middle East and other countries where they have arranged marriages. You have dowries. You know, if it's a good woman, she might get, you might have to pay five cows for it, for her, you know. And that that's the way it works. 
And here, Laban <laughs> got seven years of... Actually, for, for $2, he got 14 year, days of, uh, years of, weight of labor for him. That's a pretty good deal. Um, but they said, you know, our, our dad's just sold us. And not only that, he's used up. Well, I don't know how he did that. Well, I guess because he... Jacob already finished all those 14 years. So, they're just thinking about what's the benefit to me, which is what everybody in this situation is basically, except for Jacob, and we'll come to that. But it's just a matter of what's best for me. Um, What's best for me financially? What's best for me emotionally? What's best for me, you know, whatever? What's best for my kids? Well, I mean, yes, but no. It's what is the will of God. What are we trying to accomplish righteousness and that kind of thing? But that all, boy, and all the influential factors start moving and self-interest is right at the top of the list. There's another factor that comes into all these situations in which is beyond our, uh, at least at the point of conflict, it's beyond nothing, anything we can do about it, and that's the reaping of carnal sowing. Now, in verse 5, let's see. Oh, back in chapter 27. Look back in chapter 27 and verse 5. Now this was 20 years, at least 20 years prior. It says, And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went into the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch from me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make thee savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. You know the story. Jacob puts the skin on his arms... So he feels like his brother Esau. <laughs> Esau was a hairy man. He says when he came out as a baby, now I don't want to gross you women out, but he, he was a baby and had hair all over him. It's called a hair suit. I've never seen a baby like that. Ours <laughs> never even had any hair on their head. But the, during that time too, when he deceived his dad, his dad said, uh, thinking he was Esau, Esau? How did you get this, these deer so quickly? Do you know what he said? The Lord provided them. He took the name of God in vain to lie to his dad. And on and on it goes. Now, we know that Jacob gets, he gets right with the Lord. And actually this passage, he, he did a lot of things because God told him to. 
But even though that's true now, we reap what we sow. And he had sowed early in his life a lot of deception. And that's coming home to roost. Be sure your sins will find you out. And as uh, I think I first heard this from Kathy, you're paying for your raising. The way we've lived growing up, I tell you, younger people need to think about that. You need to think about the way you treat your mom and dad for one thing because you're preparing for the way your kids are going to treat you. Better keep that in mind. Paying for your raising. So there's the reaping of carnal sowing. That is, uh, that's one of the factor of family dynamics we, we can't reverse really except for getting right with the Lord. Uh, number four, no, no, excuse, number five, the fearful failure of not acting in accordance with Scripture. In chapter 31, verse 20, it says, And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, and that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river, and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. Verse 27. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me? And didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs and with tabret and with harp? And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters that thou hast, done, thou hast now done foolishly in so doing? In verse 31, And Jacob answered and said unto Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Peradventure thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. Now, I'm really kind of fudging on this because I don't know exactly. But when, when Revelation 21 start, lists in verse 8 all the unsaved people, they're going to hell. Do you know what the first one mentioned is? Unbelieving is number two. Fearful. The fearful are in hell. They fear to do the right thing. Fear keeps them from doing what they ought to do. And I'm not going to just out and out say that Jacob was wrong for running without talking to his father-in-law. It may have been about the only course he could have taken. But typically for a man, we ought to meet things head on and we ought to deal with things openly and honestly. Now Laban says, you know, you could have let me at least come and kiss my daughters and my grandchildren and all that. (laughs) This is the guy that God had to come and say, don't you dare trust him. So I don't believe Laban for one minute that he was going to come, you know, that's what he wanted to do. <laughs> you know, who knows, he might have put, had a blanket party for Jacob or something if he'd come to say goodbye, you know, throw a blanket over somebody and beat him up. That's, that seems like maybe something Laban would do. But I'm going to tell you, man, we, we need to face things head on and be honest. And 
Yes, there are decisions that you and I are going to have to make that's going to cause people to hate us and dislike us. But if the decision's right, most of the time we just need to stand up and own it. And a lot of the times, just because you are open about what you're doing and you're honest and willing to take whatever comes, people will respect you. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that Laban would have done that, but let's, let's be men and uh, you know, face things. And then the last one, the rude invasion of unrighteous authority. In chapter 31, verse 33, now, it says, Laban went into Jacob's tent. and into Leah's tent, and into the two maidservants' tents. And he found them not. Then went he out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. You see what's going on here? They have been caught by Laban. And Laban says, you have stolen from me. They go into the, you know, basically, uh, Leah's bedroom. They're throwing stuff going through the drawers, they're looking around. <laughs> they go into the, the, the other wives, the secondary wives. They go into uh, Jacob's tent. They're, they have no regard for his personal uh, privacy at all. Now, I'm going to make this exception. Parents do have the right to do that to children who live in their home. Okay? That's their home. They're responsible for God about what happens in their home. But most of the time, we need to respect people's privacy. Um, he, didn't re- he didn't have any reason here, according to what the Bible record is, he had no reason to distrust what Jacob did. He had no reason to accuse him of stealing or anything, stealing his God's. Actually, it was his own daughter that he raised that stole him. But we need to show respect to people. And here's a guy taking authority that Jacob really didn't have any other choice, but he lets him do because he, he's, he's, he knows he hadn't done anything. And he just, Laban just barges in there Rudeness, invading people's privacy, taking authority that doesn't belong to you. If you don't think you're going to cause family dynamic when you do that type of stuff, you're not thinking. But if you're a selfish person, you're a worldly, carnal, materialistic person, that's what people do. Now, in contrast to that, we have confidence that comes from a divine consecration. The first one of these is we see that the light of divine revelation. In chapter 31, verse 30, verses 2 and 3, it says, And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban and said, Behold, it is not toward me as before. You know, Laban had been real happy with what Jacob was doing. But verse 3 says this, And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return into the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Now, 
there's a right way to do things, a right time and all that. Proverbs is full of that kind of instruction. But the thing we need more than anything else in these kind of family situations is divine revelation. And I'm not telling you, give me a sign, God. (laughs) I'm talking about looking in the Bible and following what it says. Here, Jacob, God spoke to him directly and told him exactly what to do. And this is something, if you and I are walking with the Lord, we have multiple promises. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. It's not might or hope that He will. He says that He will. But if you're not living for the Lord up to that point, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. But, once we have the word, the word of God, the will of God expressed, that's all we really need. Again, there's a lot of, we need wisdom in carrying out these things. But when we had divine revelation, that trumps everything about what we're supposed to do. Secondly, there is the courage of a clear conscience. In verse 4, it says, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the to the field unto his flock. And he said and said unto them, I see that your father's countenance that is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. Notice these words. Ye know his wives, who were the sons of Laban, uh, daughters of Laban. He said, Ye know that with all my power I have served your father. Now that's a powerful argument right there. He knew that his, his wives knew everything that he was doing, how he was treating their dad. And he said, you know, I've, I've done what was right. I haven't cheated him. I hadn't stolen from him. God's a guy that directed me and helped to make the right decisions. But he could stand before his wives who could contradict him if it were not true and said, I've served your dad with all my heart. I've, I've taken care of his business. And they, didn't, they couldn't say, no, that's not true. It is very important to be able to have Bible principles and truths to act on, but it's almost equally important to have done what's right, been doing what's right up to that point so that somebody can't call your hand. Third, there's the certainty of personal salvation. Verse 13, God said to Jacob, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out of this land, and return to the land of thy kindred. Now, I don't know that the Bible says exactly where Jacob got saved, but in my reading, Bethel is where it took place. Up to this point, he's lied to and cheated his brother Esau. He's followed his mom's wicked advice to lie to her, her, his husband, her, uh, his dad, her husband. He's taking God's name and all that. But when he gets to Bethel, God appears to him and things change. 
He's not perfect after that. But I would say that's where salvation took place. And here, Jacob is coming to the most difficult situation of his life, and God is talking to him and reminds him of, of Bethel. Now, so many people are religious and don't know God. They've never come to a place of repentance where they really surrender to the Lord. But that's not true of Jacob. And God is the one that's given the testimony here. He says, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. That's the base of everything that he's talking to Jacob about. And now arise and get thee from this land and return to the land of thy fathers. He belongs to the Lord. The Lord's directing him. If you're not sure about salvation, about your own salvation, when you get in a situation like this, that's a terrible situation to be in. Fourth, there's the experience of divine protection. Look at verse 5. I see your father's countenance not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with with me. Uh, Look at verse 7. And your father had deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. Look at verse 24. And God came to Laban the Syrian a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, good or bad. Uh, verse 29. It is in the power. Here's, here's Laban testifying. It's the power of my hand to do you hurt. <laughs> no, it's not. The, best, the second part says, But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. In every one of these situations, Jacob, who knew what was going to happen, said, Well, I know God's, He's protected me. In every situation. Now, it's amazing sometimes what things will happen. And I, you probably hear, hear, heard me tell this before. Um, but when I made a decision, when the Lord had called me to preach, uh, the vice of my pastor and everything, I made a decision about where I was going to school. And I went home to talk to my parents about it. And it wasn't well received. And my dad told me that I was, I was leaving the family if I made that decision. That night, one of my brothers, who was probably came in from doing no, who knows what, that night, came to the room, cut the light on, I was in bed, and said, Gary, I know there's some conflict going on and everything, but you're wanting to do the Lord's will and He's, he's going to direct you. I had to make sure I was, wasn't dreaming. <laughs> That was the only encouragement I had from a, 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 a wicked brother. 
had no interest in doing God's will. And he was right. But you know, if you've lived for the Lord and the Lord's provided protection and taking care of you and giving you wisdom and all these things, after a while, you may feel nervous, but I mean, you can't control your feelings a lot of times, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't have confidence in God. That God's gonna, He's going to take care of me like He always has before. And that's what happened with Jacob over and over and over again. What do you think the Lord is our son and Shia? What do you think that means? Fifth, and then there's, there's the, just two more. The boldness of righteous sacrificial service. Starting in verse 36 and going through verse 42. Um, after Laban has gone through their, their personal space, charging them with stealing everything, which Rachel did, but Jacob didn't. Then Jacob speaks. He's held his peace. He's been polite. He's given uh, respect to his father-in-law. But when they got through, he basically said, now let me tell you something. And he tells them that for 20 years, when something was stolen, he paid for it. If there was an animal killed, he took it out of his wages. And he starts going through all this stuff, how in serving his father-in-law, who was cheating him, he never cheated his father-in-law. He always sacrificed. He always did the right thing. His father-in-law might have been cheated him. But he didn't go put his time clock in and change the numbers or anything like that. He did what was right. If you live that way, it doesn't make any difference what anybody says against you. God's going to protect and uphold those who are His faithful servants. And then the last one is the one I think I enjoy the most. And that is the outcome of a divinely orchestrated covenant. In verse uh, 43, it really goes to the end of the chapter, we won't read all that. Verse 43 says, And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto these my daughters or come or unto their children which they have borne? Now therefore come thou and let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. Here's Jacob wondering what's going to happen. And exactly what he needed is what Laban did. Laban said, we're going to establish this marker here with these stones and this one big stone there. And if you ever cross over to attack me, God's going to judge you. 
Or if I ever cross over and attack you, God's going to be the judge. And Jacob's saying, that's what we need. Because he wasn't going to go attack Laban. So Laban gets there and he makes all this bluff. And he, he knows Jacob's not going to do that to him. But he says, we're, making, we're taking vows here that I'll never come against you again. Well, God had told him, if you do, buddy, you're dead. So they, there's a covenant made that's suggested by Laban. And they both... Now, the Jergush, whatever, the long thing there in verse 47, and Galid, well, the first one is Syrian and Chaldee. That's the language it's in. Galid is just Hebrew, and they both mean the same thing, a heap of a witness. This is a heap of witness. All these stones here, they've seen everything. They've heard everything, meaning that God, the omniscient God, the omnipotent God is watching what we're saying and doing today. And we're calling on Him to take action if this covenant's broken. And Jacob's saying, yes! It was a divinely orchestrated covenant. I mean, what if Jacob had gone to Laban and said, I want you to swear that you'll never, ever come over and attack my family and take your, your daughters and your grandchildren. He, he couldn't ever imagined Laban agreeing to that, but Laban's the one that offered the covenant and called on God to enforce it. Now, Let's, let's, in closing, let's admit some things. Jacob is not a perfect man. His name Jacob basically means crooked. Now God renamed him Israel. Man of God. But Jacob's been, was renamed Israel because for a while he'd been living like that. He did reap the consequences of his deception as a young man but his covenant with God at Bethel wrought major changes in his life his heart his soul his actions and it was these changes that brought him in the favor and protection of God in what could have been a totally disastrous family situation you know we can have protection like that If, and that's a big word right there, if we determine to allow God's Word to sanctify us and to direct us and to shape our lives. And so when the countenances start shifting and things aren't like what they used to be, if we've been living for the Lord and trusting Him, we can be confident. It's kind of like, I think I probably even told you all this before, but I was a, I was a worrier, terrible worrier growing up. In fact, uh, as I've 
my fourth grade year in school, I, I had I missed uh, 30 days of 180 days of school because of migraine headaches because I would start worrying about schoolwork. Uh, but then I got saved after that, and I started, you know, following the Lord, got in a good church, memorizing scripture and stuff like that. And everything's good till I got to grad school. And I went into sat down the first day of class of OTI, Old Testament Introduction, reputed as the most difficult class in all of grad school. And he gave us the assignments. And I thought, how am I going to do this? I'm working, I'm going to school. And then the Lord said, uh, Gary, how many, what year of school is this? Well, let's see. Went to kindergarten. Twelve years of grammar in high school. And let's see, that's 13. Four years of college, that's uh, 13, 17 years. And then one year already prior to grad school, 18 years of school. How old are you, Gary? I think I'm 20, I'm 23. So 18, you've been through 18 years of school. And you actually done pretty well. The Lord's helped you. That's right. Huh. What do I need to worry about? God's helped me. And it's good. If you can come to these challenges in life and say, well, I remember the Lord did this, and the Lord did that, and the Lord did this, and I have nothing to worry about. That's when we can have confidence. Let's pray.